Welcome to Converge Coffee with Sean Sullivan. I am here with Eddie Reynolds. He is the founder and CEO of Union Square Consulting. Eddie has helped countless B2B SaaS startups achieve unprecedented growth and success with a keen focus on aligning go-to-market strategies, insights, and systems. Eddie is a true visionary in the space prior to launching Union Squared Consulting. Eddie spent years at Salesforce working with top startups across New York City to improve their sales, marketing, and service engines. Today, Eddie is changing the game with his innovative approach to revenue operations. Eddie, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Thanks for having me, Sean. I'm excited to do this. Yeah. Um, so kind of get the letters, listeners a backdrop. I think LinkedIn is a very powerful tool. We got connected, I think, through different RevOps content and different things. And we had we just had a conversation like months ago when when you were in Argentina, now you're in Portugal. And we'll, we'll talk about that later in the episode of maybe your your travel background and everything. But just kind of giving the li listeners you know, like the power of networking is kind of a huge thing, even in the B2B world of how we got connected. And you kind of told me an interesting story um, that I still remember back in the day, um, like three or four months ago with your your Salesforce experience and just different things that you've seen and how you're kind of architecting um, and how you're kind of building out Union Squared Consulting. But kind of wanted to first start out with is, you know, why did you start Union Squared Consulting? Yeah, so a lot of it had to do with my experience at Salesforce. But prior to that, I worked in finance for almost 10 years going from small business lending to working with a number of different angel investing groups. Um, I worked with a couple of the folks that uh, started Techstars um, and then went on to help raise venture capital and private equity uh, funds. And along that journey, I worked for a couple of very early stage tech startups, especially during the financial crisis, and eventually started drinking the Kool-Aid and wanted to go and see what it would be like to work in what is arguably you know, one of the best software companies on earth, Salesforce, especially from a sales perspective. Um, and the hypothesis I had was that going into Salesforce, I might learn the absolute best playbook for, for sales. And I went to Salesforce and that's exactly what happened. I mean, you know, Salesforce has its pros and cons, but they have an incredible go-to-market motion and that spans across sales, marketing, and, you know, customer success. And my job at Salesforce was to cover alongside the other seven people on my team, pretty much every later stage venture capital backed B2B SaaS startup in New York City at the time. And so what I was doing is I was, I was learning how we go to market inside of Salesforce and the machine that is Salesforce, and then going out to these extremely high growth startups and comparing notes with them, learning what they were doing, sometimes going into meetings with some of my customers and just being blown away at how incredible the talent was that they had and how they had planned out their go-to-market. And then obviously coming to some other customers where they really had a long way to go. And I spent three years doing that. And my favorite part of the job was to go in and meet with executive teams and whiteboard out their vision for their company and how they wanted to grow revenue in the next year or two years. And the you know tactical process for sales, marketing, and service that they were trying to build in their company to achieve that vision. And for me, it was never really about the technology. Like I like Salesforce, it's cool, but I was always trying to elevate the conversation to an executive level where we were talking about how are we going to grow revenue? How are we going to improve the customer experience? How are we gonna build a more efficient revenue engine? And 
I inevitably would have to lean on our consulting partners. So Salesforce has a large ecosystem of Salesforce consulting partners, some of which smoke, focus on smaller business. And not to knock all of them, but I became very disenfranchised because I would think that these are the folks that after I have a few meetings, they're the ones spending months or sometimes years working with these companies to implement these strategies and really you know, be the, where the rubber meets the road. And unfortunately, so often I would see these consultants that would dive so deep in the weeds in the technology so early, sometimes five minutes into a meeting with the entire executive team and kind of derail the whole discussion and not really understand that it's not about the tools. The tools are just a means to an end. It's about building a revenue engine that's backed by a strong strategy, a really well-defined process, metrics that guide you along the way, and then the systems to actually support that. And so often I would meet with these consultants and ask, why are you building what you're building? How is this moving the needle? How is this growing revenue? And they couldn't answer those questions. And I felt that there's a deep need in the market for somebody to help these, these startups to build a better revenue engine and not just set up more technology for them. I've been facing the same problems, Eddie. <laughs> and there's a lot of execution and there's a lot of reaction in the sense of like, let's just build the system versus, you know, let's take a step back and seeing how, how can we strategize, how we can build out processes in order to scale things. And you, you made mention to a few things that I think um, fall into the next question here is we're in a state of, um, a bear market with just different things. And so a lot of companies are pulling back and they're trying to expand um, retention and customer retention rates and different things like that, especially, and that kind of falls into, you know, rev ops and the different things like that. And so I really wanted to know, I think uh, listeners would really want to know your perspective of just intertwining that strategy as well as um, the processes and tech into that is like, how can companies use rev ops to improve customer experiences to retain and expand revenue? Well, let's start with kind of reviewing where we've been and, and how companies have used RevOps to not do that, right? So, you know, companies think like, should we have RevOps? Every company has RevOps. If you have any software whatsoever that your revenue team is using, um, if you have any process documented, if you're doing, if you have a revenue team, you have RevOps, it just may or may not be good. It may or may not be formalized. And so if you go back even a year or two, where the focus was, was all about lead generation and new client acquisition. And how do we, how do we put out more content and, and gate that content so that we can generate more MQLs so that we have leads for the salespeople to follow up on? Cause we got to keep these folks busy, right? How can we crank out more outbound calls and emails? This is why outreach and sales off have blown up over the last, you know, 10 years or so, however long it's been since they can't, they came onto the scene. Um, how do we just increase the velocity of our motion to generate more leads and more pipeline? And what's happened there is we end up generating a lot of leads from people that don't have any interest whatsoever in talking to the sales team. We spend a ton of money in both marketing and sales to try to generate that. We're then chasing them down and we're creating, uh, an unpleasant customer experience. And then all along the way, like we're, we're, pulling these customers into our funnel and pushing them through the bottom at a high cost, which is what's become unsustainable. And then on the other end of it, you've got customer success that oftentimes is neglected. 
I talk to so many people in RevOps and the amount of folks that have deep experience in customer success, as well as the amount of chief revenue officers that oversee customer success is a small minority. So that tells me that this is tremendously neglected. And now obviously we're seeing uh, the tide shifting tremendously where companies are looking at this and saying, okay, we, we don't have the funding anymore to support this model. So we need to take a hard look at our marketing and our sales. And the first step in revenue operations is to say, are we defining the right ideal customer profile, the right buyer personas, the right targets? When you bring the right customers into your organization, you make customer success a lot easier. And then when you focus on the step-by-step process for customer success to map out the customer journey and say, if I was a customer, what's the experience that I would want? And then you build out that process in the tools and say, okay, we're going to start to look at leading indicators to understand whether or not our customer is having a good experience and having success with our platform or our product or service or whatever it is you're selling. That's where you're going to find a lot of success. And it sounds so incredibly simple, but when an organization is just thinking growth, 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 they tend to ignore these very basic steps that can make such an incredible difference in not only the customer experience, but also the profitability and sustainability of the entire company. You're right. I mean, I've had a lot of experience going through that where it is very much about it's growth and not about retention or it's about quantity rather than quality. And you're right. Like it comes down to kind of the, the mindset of the company is like, if they're going into this growth or acquisition kind of mindset, they ignore of like, let's just churn and just go through things. Let's just burn through things. And they're, you're right. They're not building out the right step-by-step processes. Which this goes into yeah. the next, this, this goes to the next question here is, um, you seem to be very strategic and very system oriented and you, and you say that in unions, you know, on your, on your website, but what are the vital metrics for customer experience from your extensive like rev ops and, and sales and Salesforce experience? So obviously I think it really depends on the company, but first and foremost, you want to look at whether or not your customers are having success on the platform or with the, the product or service. Right? So when I was at Salesforce, um, despite all of Salesforce's shortcomings, like I think that they had a pretty good, you know, revenue engine in turn in this regard, you know, you have metrics with the software, whether people are using it or not. So when I was able to come into my account base, I could look at all of our customers and I could easily see who was actually using Salesforce and who wasn't right. So that's a leading indicator. Again, these are really basic things, right? But where companies fall short is they'll say, okay, we're going to have reactive customer service. So if they reach out to us, we're going to respond. And then we have a renewal coming up at the end of the year. So we'll reach out to them 30 days ahead of the renewal to see if they have any questions, et cetera. But you're way behind the curve, right? If a company is not using the tool that you bought, they're not going to renew. So you have to get way ahead of that. So the first thing that I would always look at is any type of usage stats, any type of net promoter score or CSAT, any data that you can get, even just qualitative assessments of calling your customers and finding out if they're happy with your solution or not, So you can triage those customers and decide, do we want an account manager focused on expanding a healthy account or do we have a, which is a separate topic, or do we have an unhealthy account that we really need to address? And this is where you bring in true customer success managers that don't have sales goals that are there solely for the purpose of making those customers successful. 
they identify the companies that are unhealthy and they identify the stakeholders that they need to get in front of and do what they need to do to help that customer get success with the platform. And again, like, I feel like this is so basic, but so many companies aren't doing this, unfortunately. You're, I mean, you're right. Um, and, you, and you've seen it with the big companies. Um, I mean, there was a thing that came out six months ago, a guy um, on LinkedIn just posted like, you know, Salesforce lost 30% of their revenue um, in customer experience, HubSpot lost 50. And then it, it went astronomical there um, based upon other tech companies, just in the, sh- in the sheer fact of, well, I think what you've mentioned the kind of sen- the, in the sense of this mindset where they shouldn't be focused on sales goals, like, you know, customer success or experience should be focusing on how to help the customers utilize the product at the, the, the biggest, the most impact and the most capacity that they can do. But then that also helps it expands because yeah, when contract renewals come up or when you have to increase prices on your service lines, um, there, there might be some problems there. And so do you mind, um, this is no more, no more questions here, Eddie, but do you mind sharing? Well, I'd actually love that. Yeah, go ahead. I'd love to comment on that if that's okay. Cause it's funny. Yeah. Like we keep using Salesforce as the example because you know, it's something I know, but I'm always hesitant to do that because Salesforce isn't perfect. Right. So mm-hmm. I worked there 10 years ago at this point. And even then, you know, I covered small, meaning in business, right? These were larger growth startups, but there was still small business at the end of the day. And in Salesforce's world, like these are not top tier accounts. So they're always toying with the concept of, should we have a customer success manager? Should we not? And it felt like one year or one quarter they would, and another year, another quarter they wouldn't, or that customer success manager would only work with tier one accounts. And I get it. Like you have profitability to think about, but when you're outsourcing your implementation and then your customer support is in the Philippines, um, you know, like you get what you, what you invest into. And so Salesforce isn't without their challenges in that regard. When you're a customer there and that's your only resource and you're not having success with your Salesforce implementation partner and you reach out to the Philippines and you're not having good experience there. And then there's nobody monitoring your account. You're going to have churn. Mm-hmm. You're right. I mean, it's decentralizing your product and your CX where they have to be under the company in order to oversee things, in order to monitor things for the customer. And I mean, you're right. Like, like Salesforce is, you know, you're, it's not the perfect example of everything. And as companies grow, there's always um, the look at profitability um, with different things. And, and it's a hard guess. It's a hard guess in the sense of how do you balance short-term gains in order for, you know, or short-term profitability in order to still maintain um, long-term sustainability. So do you mind sharing, like this part of the episode now is like share your story. Do you mind kind of sharing anything, um, a client that you helped out with, a challenge that you you kind of faced that probably is similar to probably what other people that are listening into this episode, what they're facing, or maybe a unique situation where it was kind of an aha moment where it kind of changed the trajectory of how you go about doing business? Oh, man, there's so many examples. Which one do I pick from? Um, This is less of a customer success story, but there's a story that we're hoping to publish soon. I'll keep the uh, client confidential in case anything changes. But um, effectively, we started working with um, a new CRO that had joined the organization, and they had a lot of opportunity for growth. 
And one of the biggest challenges that they were facing was just simply optimizing the effectiveness of their sales team. And so this sounds pretty basic, but what we did is we started out by looking at their existing sales team and their territories and trying to, and this applies to CS, this is actually what we're going to do with them next, is to say, okay, like, what is the actual capacity of a salesperson? And this can apply to a customer success manager, an account manager, et cetera. That's the next step of our engagement with them. How many accounts can they actually handle? Can they actually serve well? Because what you'll see so often is that uh, an account executive or an account manager or a customer success manager has like 10,000 accounts in their territory that they're supposed to, to cover. Maybe that's a bad example for customer success, but sometimes it's way beyond what they can actually handle. So we sat down and really mapped out what it takes to cover an account well and how long that takes and doing the math, how many accounts they really should have. And then we laser focused in to say, okay, well, given that constraint, which accounts should they be covering? What are the absolute best accounts for each rep to be covering so that we can then make sure that all of our energy are focused in the best places? Again, like I said, that was with the sales team. The next step is to do the exact same thing with the CS team. And then we built out these really refined territories and translated that into, into Salesforce so that they could all see that and then built the metrics around that as well as the process so that the CRO could get really clear visibility into how well they were covering these territories and also how well they were covering their pipeline. And I think we always think of pipeline as sales, but I worked with existing customers at Salesforce for three years and a very big part of my job was building pipeline for expansion opportunities. So this is very, very relevant. So you think about outlining that step-by-step process for how many calls are you making? How many meetings are you getting? And that can apply to a customer success manager or account manager as well. How much pipeline are you generating for new business or expansion opportunities? And what are the entry criteria from one stage to the next, right? Like what does it mean to have a stage two opportunity? And when you really clearly define that process and you focus your team in on the exact right area where they should be focused, you can suddenly realize a pretty tremendous impact. And this particular customer, again, like until this story is approved, I won't share too many details, but they saw a a tremendous increase in their pipeline just in the six months that we worked with them, um, well beyond... Well, let's see here. How much can I quote? I want this story to get approved before I share too much detail. Um, But a very, very significant growth in pipeline um, because the basics were there. Their team was focused on the best accounts and the best contacts and following a structured process that they had deemed to be the best way for them to address these accounts. And our hypothesis with them at the next stage is to do exactly the same thing with the CS team so that they can be as effective as possible at making these accounts successful. I love it. Um, Cause at my current company, like we're, we're kind of sim- facing similar things where it's not like, it's not new. Like all these businesses face it in the sense of like, Hey, we've got all these accounts. We've got all these contacts. It's kind of like, um, I get the analogy of like um, salespeople are like your, your, um, your football players. It's like, okay, you, you need coordination, rev ops, marketing, um, leadership helps out with the coordination of that of like, okay, what do you focus in on? What's the next play? What are the things that you, they can do? Because once they have kind of a set process and a set focus, 
then then the results will happen. But if they try to like try to maintain, like you said, like ten thousand accounts, you're going to ultimately fail. You know. Yeah, and I I think that this is like a really interesting thing. I just saw another uh, a friend of mine that worked at Salesforce more recently. He just left maybe six months ago. He went from SDR to BDR to AE and just absolutely crushed it. And he's like, here's my playbook, right? I heavily researched all my accounts. I narrowed in on the best accounts that I could I could work. Uh, I then focused in with like really tailored messaging. And I hit like six different people, like 10 different times, et cetera, et cetera, right? This is the same playbook I was taught when I worked at Salesforce. But now I'm looking at it through the lens of what we do. And I'm like, hold on a second. It's really, really great that you did that. But why do we need account executives to become data scientists? Why are we giving an account executive with a million-dollar quota which is $500 an hour in opportunity cost and asking them to go and try to figure out how to run reports and slice and dice data, which some AEs know how to do and some AEs are not very good at versus taking the absolute best person on our team in RevOps and doing that across the entire sales team and saying, look, like you don't have to figure this out. And Salesforce did a little bit of this. I remember when I worked there, they just came to us and said, Hey, look, like our top three sectors are number one technology, number two, professional services, number three, media and advertising. So I covered like a base that wasn't just just startups. They're just all kinds of companies. Like I covered like uh, uh, a commercial air conditioner company. What do I know about commercial air conditioning? Absolutely nothing, right? Uh, is that actually like Salesforce does really well in manufacturing, but I covered New York, so I didn't have a lot of that. And it's like, how much do I want to spend my time and energy chasing down a commercial air conditioner company and trying to learn the lingo of talking to them about what's important to them? Or even figuring out that that's not right the right play versus having somebody come and on a silver platter and just say, hey, look, here are the companies you need to cover most. Number one are software companies. Here are the software companies that just raised money, that are growing the fastest, et cetera, et cetera. Here's your list right here in Salesforce. Here are the talk tracks that work. Here are what these companies care about. Just, just go. And that cuts out probably... 70% of the work that most account executives, especially in early stage startups, have to do. And you're taking somebody that's not very good at this thing with this enormous quota and pulling half, two thirds of their time away as they fumble through trying to figure this out on their own. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous gap with a lot of companies in the sense of how do we, how do we fix this or how, and, and, and that's what your company does. So that's, that's kind of the beauty thing is like you, you found the gaps you, you kind of analyzed and, and, but you were also part of that whole experience of like, this can be better. Like you were entrenched in it and you're like, you know what, let's, I'll just make a company and I'll just, I'll fix that, you know, I'll fix that problem. And it's amazing, you know, your entrepreneurial spirit in that. And so kind of extending. Well, and I can interrupt, but. Yeah. That's that's what I love about startups so much is like I can sit here and like tell people how great Salesforce is. Unfortunately, a lot of people have experienced the other end of it and might have different opinions because the customer experience is not always a 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. um, but they're a huge company, right? Even when I worked with them, they were only doing $5 billion in revenue when I started and $10 billion when I left, which pales in comparison to where they're at now. But that's still an enormous organization, right? That is a giant oil tanker. And when you try to pivot, it is so difficult. I remember like when we implemented CPQ, that was the most painful thing I've ever been through in my life in terms of being on the other end of a tech implementation. And they told me it took them four years to do it. Uh, and then they acquired a competitor of that company like six months later. It's just when you have a company that big, 
it's really hard to move. And what I love about the work that we do, we're working with these startups that have, you know, 1 million, 10 million, 20 million in revenue. We're not working with billion dollar companies and you can go in and you can implement new processes and new tactics and move like in such a short period of time, there's absolutely no reason that you can't have a better playbook than a company like Salesforce. And this is where companies win. When you're competing with the, the, the 800 pound gorillas like Salesforce, the only way that you can win is by being more nimble and by moving faster. And you have a great opportunity to do that if you think strategically about the way that you go to market, uh, not to mention the way you build product and all these other things, but that's not my area of expertise. And it's just, it's so obvious when you see like, the shortcomings of these big organizations that have been trenched in like the way that they've been doing things for 10, 20 years that gives startups such an incredible opportunity. Oh, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it comes down to the, your go-to-market motions and how you can you pivot quicker. And, and that was a great analogy in the oil tanker because, and I would say like even for bigger companies that maybe um, that are moving more towards not product-led growth, but maybe they're, you know, they're, higher in the sense of like 20 to 30 million, maybe $50 million and, and when, in their trajectory of, you know, the revenue that they have to capture. And then they can still remain nimble in the sense that they just need to look at their compass. Cause I've found this out from another um, person, I guess um, he mentioned um, with oil tankers, they have to recalibrate their, um, their compasses because it's based on the gravitational pull. It's not automatic. It's not um, electronic. Because if they don't do that, then they shift course and they could be thousands of miles off their 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 destination when they when they go, and so it's like trying to understand how to recalibrate what's your goals, what are your, and and that goes to what you're saying too. Even with the companies that are making one two million dollars, yeah, it's a quick pivot, and there's and that you can test things a lot quicker, but the companies that have more money and that kind of stuff, you can still just be just as effective too. You just have to figure out how to plan ahead a little bit more, but still aligned back to those goals and, and what you said in the sense of your go-to-market strategy and just nailing down your, your, your processes and your focus. It'll take a little bit longer time, but it'll be a lot quicker than trying to spin the wheels um, and not getting anywhere. Well, and the difference is, is like, think about, let's say that you're running Salesforce. Let's say you're the head of all global sales. And you want to say, okay, we need to redefine our ideal customer profile and our buyer personas and make sure that our sales reps are focused on the right people. Okay, like where and how? Like what are we talking about here? Are we talking about small businesses in New York City? Are we talking about large uh, enterprises in uh, in India? Like that is such a massive undertaking that mm -hmm. takes years. And then like once you figure that out, right, across all those verticals, different industries, different size companies, different geographies, then and different products, um, then you have to roll that out to each individual account executive, which is probably why they didn't do all the things that I would have wanted them to do. But now mm -hmm. imagine that you've got a startup with like 30 sales reps and you've got, you know, I don't know, a thousand customers or whatever, how difficult is it to look through a thousand different accounts and understand like what are the commonalities in terms of revenue, in terms of industry, in terms of growth, et cetera, et cetera. You can do that analysis in a, in a day or a few days. And then to go build out territory plans and to go, you know, identify the right persona and assign them to the right reps. Yes. Like it's still a lot of work, but like this can be done in a relatively short period of time and have like an incredible impact on like, you know, if each rep has a million dollar quota, so 30 reps, you're talking $30 million quota. 
how much more effective are those 30 reps going to be if they're focused on the best accounts? Yeah. Or even rolling it up to more of an account-based approach where they're not trying to target individual contacts, but it's rolling up to the actual system accounts where, you know, you're probably looking at more of a a franchise or a multi-tiered organization where they're figuring out like, what's the, what are the best accounts? And so it could be like what you said, like, Maybe they had a thousand, you know, companies, but if they rolled up to more of account base, if there's systems that relay into those, you know, bigger companies, maybe there's only 20 accounts that they need to go after. And maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's, and, and but it just, it, it narrows down on the focus in the sense of like, I don't have to be scrounging and do, and looking at these individual data points or the individual contact records. Like how can I collectively move this account that may have 15 people tied to it? making sure that they get the right content and the right resources in, in order to move those deal stages quicker. Um, and the same thing can apl- be applied in CS, right? So yeah. like which accounts do we want to, do we want to save the most, which are the red accounts, which are the most important, which have the best potential. Again, like we're talking about a small company here or a relatively small company running that analysis and identifying who those folks are and then thinking about the step-by-step process that you need to go through to reach out to them, to get a meeting, to make that account healthy. All of these things can be implemented in relatively short order and have such a greater impact on the organization than just hiring one more sales rep or one more CS rep. I mean, Eddie, we're, we're, we're speaking the same language and I, I love your insights and, but I, this uh, we, I mean, we could talk for for hours uh, about this and and figuring out bigger like the problems and how to and how to deduce into like individual process steps. But you know, you mentioned the health of the company. Um, this part of the episode now is about you, um, and you kind of revealed a little bit of you know why you do what you do. Like, why do you love RevOps? You know, why do you go from a more of a view of a more of a go to market strategic lens on things? But more so, it's kind of like. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about you in the sense of like work, hobby, and health of things to kind of that things that make you tick as well as the things that re-energize you? Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this. I just turned, uh, I just turned 40. And uh, so I don't think that this company is going to be like the last thing that I do in my career. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about like, what does make me tick? Like what excites me? And what I've realized is, since day one, since the time I got out of college, I've always wanted to spend part of my time talking to meeting interesting people. And I've always wanted to spend part of my time doing some kind of analysis. So I grew up like I was a huge math nerd. I took a ton of like high school math when I was in middle school and I took AP Calc when I was a freshman in high school. And then it's a long story, but I ended up like skipping my sophomore, junior and senior year of high school and starting college when I was 16, all just because I took like all the math classes and did really well in them. And so when I, when I went to school, I tried to study entrepreneurship because I wanted to start my own business and marketing because they didn't teach sales. I ended up dropping marketing because I was like, this is cool, but I can probably learn this on my own and it's probably going to evolve by the time I'm practicing. And I picked up finance, like, which is pretty obvious in hindsight. Like I love numbers. I love analysis. I like I like the idea that we have that we have a concept or a hypothesis and we can test that by like really like doing the math. And that I think is what excites me about revenue operations. I get to meet really interesting dynamic people on a daily basis. And at the same time, like we can wax philosophically about what might work or not work. And we can test that with real numbers. 
And that I think is, is fascinating to me. And as my company evolves, I get a chance to do more podcasting and go to events and meet a lot. We work with a lot of venture capital firms and that really energizes me and is, uh, is really fun. Um, I hope that answers the question. It does. I mean, that, that kind of, that, that's your kind of hobby, your health, like that, that's basically you. That's just the central portion of like who you are in the sense of like, you're, you like to tinker around with things. You'd like to look at the concepts and test things, but you also want to bridge gap that with meeting interesting people and understanding their side of things in order to help them. And that's what you're doing. And that's well, kind of, I think the other thing is, is that I built my career in mostly in sales. So even when I worked in finance, I was still, you know, carrying a bag, so to speak. And I don't know, I wasn't like the most popular kid in high school. I never felt like I was the guy that could walk into a room and slap everybody on the back and ingratiate them as my best friend and win a deal that way. So from day one, when I, was, I even paid my way through college in sales, my tactic was always strategy. I was always thinking like, how do I outrun my competition by picking better targets, running a better process? How can I circumvent the system so that I don't have to compete with somebody that's more charismatic than me? And so that's always been in my DNA. And the first time that I started using Salesforce was for my own personal networking, like outside of work, where I was trying to go and I was like working with angel investors and doing a lot of startup stuff. And I needed a database to track these folks because I wanted to manage these relationships. And I've always, since day one of being in sales, tried to think like, how do I build a system that will perform and not just be dependent on my like gift of gab? I love it. I mean, sentiments here, like I'm, I'm a data nerd, finance, you know, background numbers, but I get you like there's, there's people that just have that natural charismatic can connect with people, have their relationship, but you used um, your strengths to, to accelerate and to scale. And I think that is like, you, you are true to yourself and like, you're not trying to be something that you're not, you're using, utilizing your strengths in order to be, and just dialing in on things and have a very good perspective on, and a very focused perspective on go-to-market strategy, which there is a lot of people out there. They're like, let's just do go-to-market and this is how we're doing it, but there's no process. They're just like, this is how we're going to do it. And it's like, no, you need a goal and then you need to like have your hypothesis and then you need to have variables to test. So Eddie, thanks for, thanks for so much for being on this episode. You, you laid out, you know, some wonderful examples. And I know that we reference Salesforce a lot with different things, but it was more so of giving your perspective because you were entrenched and you worked there for three years. And so you had a lot of um, good perspective in the sense of bigger companies, enterprise companies, and just, and just there's always going to be pros to cons to everything. And I love that you mapped that out and you kind of laid that out in this episode. Yeah, and I wish we'd had more time because I worked for some really early stage startups, both before and after Salesforce. Um, and I've seen the other side of this too. Yeah. And to all the Converge coffee drinkers out there, that's a wrap. 